We've reached the end of the week. Hello, welcome in. It's a Friday edition of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Yeah, we did it, y'all. We're going to have a great weekend, we hope, and some of us are going to maybe get that jacket off and put on shorts and a short sleeve shirt again. That would be a, a welcome change for some of us in the Southeast over these last couple of days where it's been a little bit nippy, 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 nippy. Hey, if you want to give us a ring or text us, we are standing by for that. 803-816-1170 is the easiest way to do that. And don't forget, Y'all is presented by Y'all.com, the homepage of the South. Go there right now and find great stories that you can learn all about the Southeast. But also we have this show right here, the Y'all Show, placed there each and every day. Just look for Y'all Show at Y'all.com and you'll see the show awaiting your free download. We encourage you to kind of keep up with things and share it with everybody. When you go to Choice here this Sunday, tell everybody about the Y'all Show and tell them, hey, if you like the South, I think you'll like that Y'all Show with that fellow John Rawl. Coming up on today's Y'all Show, in addition to headlines from across the news world, we also have some headlines from the sports world. And sadly, a former Kentucky Wildcat killed in a car wreck in Los Angeles. We'll tell you about that. Also, another sad story coming from Florida State and the NFL, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll let you know about that in our sports news in a few minutes here in this first hour of y'all. Also, later this hour, we got our first ICYMI of 2021 coming your way. And that's in case y'all missed it. This is where we go in and we find an interview or a feature from our last couple of days of doing the show here this week. And if there's a really good interview, we think you might want to hear a little bit of it again and well, we'll, we put it on there. We give it another spin, and that's what we're going to have here this first hour of today's Y'all Show. I-C-Y-M-I, in case y'all missed it, we're going to go back to Wednesday and play a portion of our interview with Miles Moody and Rachel Pack. They own Kinship Butcher and Sundry in Atlanta, Georgia. That is a hot new place that's opened up, and you're going to learn a lot more about it in our I-C-Y-M-I, in case y'all missed it. Coming up in hour two today of the Y'all Show, we're going to have some fun. It is the weekend, and we are going to do this. We're going to play some music for you to get you in a kind of weekend mode. And we've got some David Lee Murphy songs that are kind of our traditional way to get the weekend going. But then we're going to have a spotlight on Roy Orbison. He's got a birthday, or would have had a birthday here. He was born on this day. And Roy Orbison, the native Texan, of course, who had some time in Nashville and was a pop star, country music singer as well. We're going to play one of his great songs as part of our Friday Free for Y'all in the second hour of today's y'all then we're gonna get you ready for the weekend in a big way we've got the fishing forecast oh yeah if you want to go to the outdoors this weekend and enjoy them we've got craig faulkner dropping by with his fishing forecast and this is not just just not just for you anglers out there this is also for those of you who might be wanting to go turkey hunting or whatever other types of options in the outdoors are available here as we wind down the month of april the Fishing Forecast with Craig Faulkner coming up in Hour 2 
of the program. We also have more headlines your way in the second hour and a look at some of the movies. We've got a couple of new movies hitting theaters here on this wind down of April. And then, of course, in hour three, Art Cruz will be in. We'll get his take on what's going on across the southeast as well as a look at headlines and more. All that on Y'all Talk With Us Southern Accent. As we always say, plenty of stuff. There's something here for everybody. We're like a buffet. We got a little bit for all y'all right here on the program. Let's dive into headlines across the southeast. And this is some good news. COVID-19 hospitalizations are falling among the nation's senior citizens as hospitalizations for senior citizens plunging more than 70 cents since the start of 2021. And the deaths among them appear to have tumbled as well. And that's evidence that the vaccination campaign is working. COVID-19 deaths among people of all ages in the U.S. have plummeted to about 700 per day on average compared with a peak of over 3,400 back in mid-January. Still way too many people losing their life because of this virus. But a spokesperson from the Emory University Public Health Center in Atlanta, Jody Guest, says that what you're seeing there is exactly what we hoped and wanted to see as really high rates of vaccination happen, hospitalization and death rates come down. The best available data suggests that COVID-19 deaths among the country's 65 years and older audience declined more than 50% since the peak in January. The picture is not entirely clear because the most recent data on deaths by age from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is incomplete and subject to revision but if you look at flattening the curb this time where it might actually flatten and go down you're seeing a definite change from january 1st to now in april man that's a scary looking thing when you really sit there and look at it how much that thing went up at the beginning of november into january and now coming back down in march of course there was a peak in early uh, i guess late april a year from a year ago now it was really awful around the country with deaths and more and then of course it never went totally away it, it, it certainly went throughout the summertime and and even into the fall and then you saw cases rise starting big time in november and going on away going up toward the first of the year of this year but it looks like the vaccinations and the herd immunity and more are perhaps going to finally make this thing go away and it can't go away fast enough and of course we certainly don't ever want to forget those who lost their lives those who've really struggled the families left behind it's just been a, a something that most of us unless you were around for the spanish flu have never seen anything like that into this country's history and hopefully we never will now louisiana has stopped asking the federal government for its full allotment of covid19 vaccine and about uh, some other states also have done the same thing. In Mississippi, officials there have asked the federal government to ship vials in smaller packages so they don't go to waste. And this is because as the supply of coronavirus vaccine doses outpaces demand, some places around the country are finding there's such little interest in the shots that they need to turn down shipments. Yeah, and I, I can vouch for this. I had my first dose the other day. I signed up at a national store as their pharmacy offered the Moderna vaccine, and that's what I wanted. And I signed up the day before. It was a pretty easy process. And I got a phone call a couple of hours before and said, hello, Mr. Rawl. 
we wanted to know if you could come in the next day to get your vaccine. And I thought that was a little strange because I thought there was just a really big rush on people getting the vaccine. They said that I was the only person on the schedule to get the Moderna vaccine in the whole afternoon time frame. And so if I could come in the next day, that would be a lot better for them. They wouldn't have to waste vaccines. Evidently, both the Moderna and the other one that's out there, not the Johnson & Johnson, the other one, they have to have some kind of refrigeration or dry ice or something like that. And and so I would have had to waste, because of my one appointment, there wouldn't be other people who could also come in around the same time period. And I was gladly, uh, I gladly told them I'd just come in the next day, and I did. And it worked out beautifully. In fact, when I went in the next day, they told me I actually could come in 30 minutes earlier to get my vaccine and certainly not have to wait. And that was good news. Now, earlier this month, the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, said that officials there have requested that the federal government send the vaccines in those smaller packaging, not going to waste. As Reeves said, if you're in New York City and you're sending a package to one of the largest pharmacies in downtown Manhattan, there are literally millions and millions of people within walking distance, most likely of that particular pharmacy. Well, if you're in rural Itabina, Mississippi, that's just not the case. And I was in Itabina back in November, and I don't remember even seeing a pharmacy now that I come to, I saw the Mississippi Valley State University campus and actually went out there on the football field and threw the uh, football around for a little while there on Jerry Rice Field, I believe is what it's called, Mr. San Francisco 49er grade and a former Delta Devil there in Mississippi. But yeah, the coronavirus vaccine, actually some positive news in that direction. And so that is welcome, welcome news as we get our weekend going keeping our headlines in the state of mississippi now did you realize a county in that state has the highest rate of diabetes in the entire united states oh and we know that in the south diabetes is a big problem or as wilford brimley would say diabetes diabetes the late wilford brimley uh yeah in mississippi tippa county now that is not in the mississippi delta Tippa County is the home of one Ripley and Walnut, Mississippi. It is right on the Tennessee border in northeast Mississippi. And Tippa County has the highest rate of diabetes in the country, according to a 2020 county health rankings released by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And a Memphis TV station, WMC, traveled to Tippa County to learn why the diabetes rate there leads to the nation and what's being done to bridge the great health divide. The investigators there went and met with a couple that live in Ripley, Mississippi, and they said, we wouldn't want to live anywhere else. We got good cooks and good places to eat and sometimes overeat. <laughs> now, this man, Charles, diagnosed with diabetes 10 years ago, and his wife diagnosed 35 years ago so i guess because their love of eating is why they're ripley and in tippa county mississippi don't want to leave i think blue mountain is also in that county don't want to leave all of the the bergs of tippa county out yeah they like to eat and because of that that is why they're according to this foundation the robert wood johnson foundation the most diabetic county in the entire country and I've spent some time passing through Ripley County, or Ripley, Tippa County, Mississippi, by the way, the home county of one William Faulkner. And I have not even seen a buffet 
in Tippa County. Now, you don't have to go too far to find some good eating in other surrounding counties, but uh, they're in Tippa County. Yeah, the one place I went to that I really enjoyed one time, I believe, shut down, and it was right off the square there. Tippa County is a, a lovely little place. They've got every month, similar to other counties across the southeast, they've got the first Monday, I believe it's called. It's a big flea market or a glorified flea market, and people from surrounding states flock to Tippa County for some good deals and some good food. Maybe because of that good food is why they got the highest diabetes rate in the whole country. Better watch it in Tippa County now. Calm down with that eating. We don't want to we don't want to lose you. All right, to the Commonwealth of Virginia we go. And that state is moving to eliminate all accelerated math courses before eleventh grade as part of an equity focused plan. Now Virginia is certainly winning the award, maybe even over Maryland right now, for the most liberal United States state in the Southeast. I don't know what's going on and what's happened to this once very southern state. The Virginia Department of Education is now moving to eliminate all of these accelerated math options prior to 11th grade, effectively keeping higher achieving students from advancing as they usually would in the school system. Now, one school board member in Loudoun County posted about the change and said that he learned of the change the night but prior during a briefing from staff on the, quote, Virginia Mathematics Pathway Initiative. And this school board member, Ian Serotkin, said that during last night's Curriculum and Instruction Committee meeting, we received a briefing from the staff of the VMPI, a sweeping initiative by the Virginia Department of Education to revamp the K-12 through math curriculum statewide over the next few years. These are some noble goals with this initiative. It provides a pathway for every student to be able to take calculus or higher math by the end of high school if they so choose. That is a very good thing and eliminates a major problem we have currently of students being, quote, locked into their math track and being unable to get to calculus later on if they weren't sufficiently accelerated in middle school. That being said, as currently planned, this initiative, this initiative will eliminate all math acceleration prior to 11th grade. That is not an exaggeration, nor does there appear to be any discretion in how local districts implement this. So some definite changes going to be taking place in Virginia in terms of their way of teaching math and more. And for all of you math experts out there, I won't call you a nerd, all you math experts out there, way to go. Because some of us who got through high school, even got through college, math was not our forte. That's why we had to go into professions like like working on the radios. (laughs) All right, here's a sad story coming to us from the state of Georgia. A 20-year-old who had a passion for being a firefighter died the same day he started his job as a St. Mary's Georgia Fire Department fireman. He died in his sleep. And sadly, 20-year-old Efren Medina died Saturday on his first tour of duty working there in southeast Georgia. As a statement on Facebook read, Firefighter Medina was a newly hired firefighter and working his first shift. He was known for his longtime passion for firefighting and his love of the fire service. Yes, as it was indicated, he was eager to start his career died in his sleep after responding to an overnight call there in St. Mary's, Georgia, and our thoughts to the family there. Again, a young person 
who lost his life starting out his career, doing something he was so excited to be doing. And something I want to tell you, this was his very first day, uh, Efren Medina working there in St. Mary's, Georgia. We want to thank all of our firefighters, our firefighters. I know often they get lumped in with police and the military, but it takes a special breed to be a firefighter and working in EMS and more. And I, I know that the country now has got police, uh, those working in that profession in the some positive, some negative because of what's been happening in recent events with the law enforcement of the world. But the firefighters, what they do and the, the things they have to see. And I didn't even know until someone pointed it out to me not long ago, the effects of being a firefighter last the rest of your life, especially by going into burning buildings with all the chemicals that they have to be exposed to. And a lot of times firefighters ended up, they die of types of cancer, leukemia, and more that you have to wonder, would they have had that had they not been a firefighter? And just the sheer bravery of what they do as well. And a, a sad thing here that a 20-year-old just getting going in St. Mary's, Georgia, loses his life in such a an awful way there, just getting that career going. We have some sports headlines that we're going to get to, and we're going to do that right after this time out as we've got more of the Y'all Show headed your way. All so much fun right here, and it's so wonderful to close out the week with you. Don't forget, we also have some sports headlines coming up after the break, too. So stay tuned to Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. I want to let you know that Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon in the world of UFC, and round two is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Yeah, that's right. Just pick either main event fighter to win during this weekend's UFC 261 title fight, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 26 to 1 odds. Those are pretty good odds, y'all. All you have to do is just bet $5 on either fighter to win, and if they walk out with the belt, you will cash $130. That's right, $130. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on other sports like basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WTJK when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code WTJK to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. For a limited time only, 
only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants to help, call or text the Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789. Staring out the window of that SUV, complaining, saying, I can't wait to turn 18. She said, I'll make my own money and I'll make my own rules. Mama put the car and park out there in front of the school. And she kissed her head and said, I was just like you. You're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back You're gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast These are some good times Back into the Y'all Show Winding your week down Getting ready for the weekend And we've got some sports news to relay to you And sadly from the world of SEC basketball and perhaps a young man who wanted to play in the NBA, Terrence Clark, who was a freshman guard for UK, the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team this past season, died following a car accident in the L.A. area on Thursday. He was just 19 years old. L.A. Police Department Sergeant John Matassa, who works in the Valley Traffic Division, told ESPN that Clark was a solo occupant in a vehicle that ran a red light going Quote, at a very high rate of speed, this happened in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, and this happened on Thursday afternoon around 2 o'clock in the afternoon is what authorities report there. Sad, sad story again coming out of Los Angeles in terms of a former Kentucky Wildcat basketball player losing his life in a tragic car accident. The incident was captured on surveillance video, according to authorities there. And he collided with another vehicle that was preparing to make a left-hand turn, striking the vehicle, hitting a streetlight pole, and ultimately a block wall. He was transported to Northridge Hospital and was later pronounced deceased as a result of the collision. He, the authority said that Matassa, the, the authority there, Matassa said the driver of the vehicle who was in a truck did not claim any injuries. Clark was driving a 2021 Hyundai Genesis and was not wearing a seat belt. Clark's mother was at his side when he died, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Kentucky coach John Calipari released a statement saying, I am absolutely gutted and sick tonight. A young person who we all love has just lost his life too soon, one with all of his dreams and hopes ahead of him. Terrence Clark was a beautiful kid, someone who owned the room with his personality, smile, and joy. People gravitated to him. And to hear we have lost him is just hard for all of us to comprehend right now. We are all in shock. Those are the words of Kentucky Wildcat basketball coach, Coach Cal, John Calipari, after the loss of a guy who was just playing for him a couple of, just a month ago, frankly, Terrence Clark, a freshman guard for Kentucky's basketball team. I don't 
think he had declared, nor could he declare for the NBA draft, so he was likely going to be suiting up and playing for Big Blue Nation again this coming year. I don't know that for a fact, but we do know that, unfortunately, this 19-year-old basketball player has been killed in a car wreck in Los Angeles. Another sad story from the sports world, a former Florida State Seminole linebacker and NFL player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker Geno Hayes is currently in hospice care at the age of 33, moved to hospice care at his parents' home in Georgia, and this happens two years after being diagnosed with liver disease. Just a sad, sad thing. Now, before entering the hospital, Geno Hayes said that he had been placed on a waiting list for a transplant at the Mayo Clinic and Northwestern Medicine back in December after being hospitalized over 20 times in the past year. And he said at the time, my first diagnosis gave me, the first diagnosis they gave me was alcoholic cirrhosis. But when we dug in deeper, it became just chronic liver disease because I don't drink like that. If I did drink, it was just like wine or something like that. But my body is made different, and that's what my doctor said. Everybody's made different. And Gino said that he went from 220 pounds to 150 pounds. That was when I was first diagnosed. Now, he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 2008 to 2011 and just a a, a warrior when he was out there playing for the Bucks, he also played for the Bears in 2012 and played for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2013 and 2014 and again played collegiately for the Florida State Seminoles there back in the mid-2000s decade. Geno Hayes in hospice care, we wish him the best there and in uh, the family. Just a sad story there with this man only being 33 years of age now to the world of golf this weekend you got the zurich classic of new orleans this is the team competition where you you get a buddy and i i think a pair of oklahoma state cowboys are teaming up and doing quite well on the golf course as at least of thursday the first round of the zurich classic of new orleans victor hovland and chris ventura who are from norway and but played collegiately at Oklahoma State. These Cowboys, these pokes, with a combined 10 under par to be tied at top the leaderboard of the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. The purse of this golf tournament, nearly $7.5 million. A fun tournament. I, I think I make an effort each year to find this thing and watch it because it's the only time you see truly team competition on the PGA Tour. Hovland and Ventura are tied with Kevin Stallings, or no, I should say Kevin Stallings is the old Vanderbilt coach. I don't know Stallings' first name. Stallings and Garnett are tied also at 10 under in this tournament. I do know the next pair that are 9 under, and that would be Cameron Champ and Tony Finau. They are there. Let's see. Burns and Billy Horschel also have a 9 under score. Keegan Bradley is there at 9 under with his partner Steele. And Louis Oosthuizen, that's the only uh, South African that you could see teamed up with Charles Schwartzel, the Masters champion from about a decade ago. Those guys are nine under here in this tournament. But a fun, fun time. There's 77 teams 
No, rather, there's just like I got to count them up 70, 70. There's 80 teams of players. So there's 160 golfers total in this Zurich Classic of New Orleans taking place just outside of New Orleans at Avondale at TPC of Louisiana. But that's on this weekend if you want to see something golf played just a little bit different as that's going on right now on the PGA Tours schedule. To college baseball, we have some scores from the top 25 from Thursday night. Some big games in the SEC. Arkansas went to Columbia, the number one team in the country, defeated the Gamecocks of South Carolina and Coach Kingston there. 6-1 Hogs get the victory there at Founders Park along the Congaree River in downtown Columbia. Arkansas, number one, South Carolina with a little bit of a resurgence here this year. Their coach, their Kingston, kind of been in hot water. He's been in a little bit of hot water because his teams just have not done what Ray Tanner's did 10 years ago. And then Tanner left. Chad Holbrook came in. They fired Holbrook there in Columbia because he wasn't winning championships like Tanner did. Remember, South Carolina roughly 10, 11 years ago won back-to-back college baseball national championships. And now they've got this guy who came up from, I think, South Florida was where he came up from about three years ago. And he's got South Carolina in the top 20, but they lost that opening game in the series with the Hoggies. 6-1 Arkansas wins. Also at Swayze Field in Oxford on Thursday night, this series is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. And the Bayou Bengals of LSU get the 5-4 victory over Mississippi as Mississippi, the home team, is number 12 in the land. And so LSU with a very good start. As we told you in our SEC spotlight on Thursday, the Tigers are not doing that great here this year. LSU, one of the historic best teams in college baseball, really not doing well here to start 2021. But maybe they'll turn it around at their rival there in Oxford. 5-4, LSU gets that opening game win in Swayze Field, Oxford University Stadium. Now, what are the other top 25 clashes going on in college baseball this very weekend? Florida and Auburn. Florida's number 15. They'll be playing on the SEC Network on the Plains. That's a series to be on the lookout for. From the ACC, Louisville and Pittsburgh are playing along the banks of the Ohio River. This is a top 20 matchup between the Panthers and the U of L. Dan McDonald's got another great team going this year, ranked seven, and Pitt comes in for an ACC clash. That ought to be fun to tune in if you're able to. How about a matchup out of Conference USA? The Monarchs of Old Dominion have a top 20 matchup with the UNC Charlotte 49ers in the Queen City. Old Dominion, the Monarchs are ranked 20, and Charlotte, the 49ers, are 19. This according to D1Baseball.com. Now, this is a series going on this weekend that's not a conference matchup, but I only bring this up because this team's done quite well in the last couple of years in college baseball, and I had never heard of this college until they started having great success on the college baseball diamond. We're talking about Dallas Baptist. I believe they're the Patriots, and DBU is hosting number 21, Indiana State. The Sycamores come down to the Metroplex for a series this weekend. Texas Tech, ranked number five in the country. They've got the Baylor Bears in Lubbock here this weekend for a series. 
another Conference USA series. The Bulldogs of Louisiana Tech will be in Ruston to take on the Marshall Thundering Herd. La Tech is ranked 14th in the land right now. To the ACC and the Seminoles of Florida State will be at Rush Chandler Stadium in Atlanta to take on Danny Hall's Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. This is a fun series always because these two teams always find a way to have great pitching combined with timely hitting and ought to be a good good matchup there from downtown Atlanta in the shadow of the Coca-Cola World Headquarters, by the way. Also, out of the American, you've got East Carolina. How about that program? Ranked number nine right now. ECU is going to be hosting the Knights of UCF this weekend in Greenville. And Fort Worth, right alongside the Stockyards, number eight TCU's got the Kansas Jayhawks in for a weekend series in the Big 12. We also have to tell you about the Tennessee Vols, a great program, although they did not get the series win at home against Vanderbilt last weekend. They failed to the Commodores. But UT gets to go to Texas, and they'll be taking on the Texas A&M Aggies there at Bluebell Park on the A&M campus. Tennessee, number six, A&M not currently ranked. Ought to be fun there to see these two teams suit up and play on the diamond. To the ACC, number 22, Virginia Tech will be in Raleigh to take on the Wolfpack. That's a series that will be broadcast on the ACC network. To the Big 12, a top 25 matchup between the number 24 Oklahoma State Cowboys. They'll be at home taking on the Texas Longhorns. And also, some Pac-12 games of note that I won't sit here and tell you about. Southern Cal will be playing Arizona. But the biggest matchup in all of college baseball this weekend will be taking place at Dudley Field just behind Vanderbilt Stadium as the Commodores, ranked number two in their land, are going to ha- have a matchup that some of these games will be on ESPNU. They've got Chris Lamonis's Mississippi State Bulldogs in the Music City this weekend. Number four, Diamond Dogs of Mississippi State and number two, the Vandy Boys right there along West End. A fun, fun series and just something that will help maybe control who's going to have bragging rights in the Southeastern Conference when it comes to baseball. Gosh, hard to believe we're only about a month away from Hoover and they're actually going to have Hoover this year where last year things kind of got canceled because of the virus, but some Great college baseball game set up for this weekend. Tune in if you are able. Now let's talk a little college football, if you don't mind. And I don't know what led to this change, but the NCAA is going to change the overtime rules in college football. Two-point tries will be required starting in the second overtime, then what's called two-point shootouts. Teams will now be forced to go for two-point conversions after touchdowns beginning in the second overtime. On Thursday, the NCAA Playing Rules Oversight Panel approved these college football rule changes that will start in the 2021 season. And again, chief among these rule changes is an adjustment to the overtime rule that is sure to maybe get a lot of you out there a little bit upset about it. Teams forced to go for a two-point conversion starting in that second overtime period If a game is still tied after the second overtime, teams will engage in a two-point conversion shootout similar to how hockey games are decided with penalty shots. So does that mean we won't have a third, fourth, fifth, sixth overtime, or is it called that when you have these shootouts? It sounds like it's a way to stop having 
the Texas A&M-LSU games of 2018, the most notable game that I can think of that went that long, that game ended in a Texas A&M 74-72 win in seven overtimes. Now, you're listening right now to a guy who I, I wish I weren't telling you the truth here because I saw this game and I was not pleased with the way it worked out because my team was on the losing end. But yours truly here, John Rawl, actually was in attendance at the very first seven-overtime college football game. If you know what that game was, hit me up here, 803-816-1170. Text me and tell me if you think you know what that game was. Believe it or not, hint, hint, it's been 20 years. And that game, as I was in the attendance there, sitting in the Uh, I was in the section of the team that won, but I was not pulling for that team. Uh, It got ridiculous after a while, frankly. The way that thing played out, it it, it just got old. And so I know we hardly see the LSU-Texas A&M games from 2018 happen like that in the game that I attended. But, boy, college football, is it not not great? And also, speaking of overtime rules and things – I wonder how many of you prefer the college football plan, even if they revoke, uh, even if they revoke what they're currently got and going to change to what they're proposing here this coming season. Do you prefer the college rules of overtime versus the NFL rules? Because the NFL is also guilty of tweaking the way that thing works. Of course, in the NFL, you can have a tie. You can have a tie, except outside of. The postseason, you can't have ties in postseason, but college football, they'll play and play and play and play until somebody wins, which I assume is how most of our states kind of have that same policy where they don't have ties ever in the high school ranks. But every state's a little bit different. Speaking of the great game of college football, if you are just in a pinch to see some college football from the FBS level, it's not quite the same as September, October, November, December, but you got some spring football games that you can tune in and watch here this weekend if you want to do it. Actually, it starts this evening here in the ACC as Georgia Tech's got their spring game from Bobby Dodd Stadium, and that will be televised on the ACC network. Tune in starting at 6 Eastern, 5 Central to see a little Georgia Tech spring football on a Friday night. Friday night lights from the ATL. And they've done a great job there at the Georgia Institute of Technology doing this Friday night change. It started in the Paul Johnson era, and they mix in fireworks and just kind of bringing in the excitement of Atlanta with college football in April. Georgia Tech with their spring game here this night, starting at 6 Eastern, 5 Central. Tune in on the ACC Network if you get an opportunity. Also in the ACC, Boston College with their spring game on Saturday. And you also have North Carolina, Mac Brown team with a ACC Network broadcast of their spring game. That's a 3 Eastern, 2 Central start on Saturday. And then the Pitt Panthers also from the ACC with their spring game here this weekend. Moving over to the Big 12 And we have the Oklahoma Sooners. That will be televised on Bally Sports Oklahoma at 5 Eastern, 4 Central, if you want to see the OU Sooners, a dynasty in college football, their spring game. Now, also there in the Sooner State, and this will be a game that starts a little bit earlier on Saturday, starting at 1 Eastern, 12 noon, 12 noon 
Stillwater time. The Pokes of Oklahoma State have their spring football game. The Longhorn Network is televising Texas's Longhorn, their Longhorn spring game here this weekend. West Virginia also with their spring football game starting at 1 Eastern. That game available on ESPN+. And then from the SEC here on this spring football weekend for teams that might have their spring game. Remember, Alabama and Auburn both completed their spring practices last week, as did the Arkansas Razorbacks and the Georgia Bulldogs. But here this weekend, you've got the Mississippi Land Sharks of Lane Kiffin. They've got their spring game on SEC Network Plus starting at 5 Eastern, 4 o'clock Grove time. Also, you've got on Saturday the South Carolina Gamecocks and their brand-new coach, Shane Beamer, with an SEC Network Plus broadcast of their spring game, 2 o'clock from Williams-Brice Stadium in Columbia, SC. The Tennessee Vols and Coach Heupel have their spring game from Rocky Top starting at 4 Eastern, 3 Central, a option you can find on the SEC Network Plus plan. And lastly from the SEC, Texas A&M has their spring game set for 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock Kyle Field time on SEC Network Plus. Tune in if you want to see some spring football for the big boys. If you want to see some spring football from the little fellas, the FCS ranks, well, they're actually not having what's called spring football practices. They've got spring footballs that actually count for something. As the fall schedule of 2020 was essentially wiped out for small college 1AA football, they decided to push their competition to the springtime, and most of these teams have finished play. But 16 FCS teams got invited to the FCS playoff, the football championship for the FCS level, and that gets going on Saturday. So let me run through the lineup. You can make your viewing plan on ESPN Plus because all these games will be available on the premium app for ESPN. The next weekend, when they get down to the Elite Eight of college football's FCS, those will start being broadcast on ESPN2, ESPNU perhaps, maybe even ESPN. All right, who is, who's doing what in FCS football on Saturday? The number one seed is the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. They'll be hosting Holy Cross. The Salukis of Southern Illinois will be taking on Weber State. The Blue Hens, Joe Biden's beloved Blue Hens of Delaware, will be taking on Sacred Heart in the FCS college football playoffs. How about Seth Curry's Davidson Wildcats? As Davidson won the Pioneer League, they'll be going on to take on the OVC champion Jacksonville State Gamecocks there from Jacksonville, Alabama. And that game, by the way, ought to be a fun one to tune in. It'll be on at 2 Eastern, 1 o'clock East Alabama time between the Gamecocks and Wildcats of Davidson. The James Madison Monarchs, they won the national championship about three de- three years ago when Mike Houston was coaching the Dukes and JMU hosting their in-state foe, the VMI Kedets. As the Military Institute there of Virginia won the Southern Conference, first time since 1977, VMI won the Southern Conference. And VMI's reward, well, they get to go to Harrisonburg and take on JMU in this FCS playoff matchup. How about Bobby Petrino and the Missouri State Bears? They made it to the playoffs, and they get to play their fellow Missouri Valley Conference foe in the North Dakota State, rather the North Dakota, I screwed this up the other day, the North Dakota Fighting Sioux Hawks. 
They will be playing Missouri State in the playoffs. North Dakota State, the dynasty of FCS football. They've got Eastern Washington here this weekend. And Monmouth will be taking on the Sam Houston State Bearcats in Huntsville, Texas. And that's what's going on in FCS football for this weekend in the playoffs. Major League Baseball, quick lineup of what's going on this weekend as far as the series. Brewers will be in Chicago to take on the rival Chicago Cubbies. The A's will be at Baltimore. Kansas City, the Royals will be in Motown to take on the Tigers. The Yankees try to get off the mat. They'll be taking on the Cleveland Indians. Mariners will be at Boston. Blue Jays will be in Tampa Bay to take on the Rays. The Washington Nats will take on their East rivals, the New York Mets. The D-backs and the Bravos will be at Truist Park in Atlanta this weekend. The Angels and the Houston Astros get together for a series. The Pittsburgh Pirates with an interleague matchup against the Minnesota Twinkies. The Texas Rangers and the White Sox of Chicago, fresh off of a no-hitter the other day, they get together. In fact, Texas had a no-hitter of their own recently, so that ought to be a fun combination here in Southside Chicago. The Reds and the Cardinals have their rivalry going on this weekend. The Phillies and the Rockies together this weekend. The Fish of Miami go all the way out to San Francisco for a series against the Giants. And then the San Diego Padres and the maybe biggest rivalry in baseball right now, the Daddies and the Los Angeles Dodgers get together there in L.A. for a series. Clayton Carshaw and Hugh Darvish are on the mound on this primetime matchup on this Friday from Tinseltown. So that's a quick look what's going on in sports here this weekend. Good, good entertainment. Wholesome family entertainment for all y'all. And tune in and, and check out some Major League Baseball. Well, that wraps up our look at sports across the Southeast here on the Y'all Show. Hang on. When we come back after this timeout, we are going to have ICYMI, in case y'all missed it, an interview, a selection of that interview from Wednesday where we talked to the owners of a new great restaurant and butcher shop in Atlanta, Georgia. That's coming up. Uh, We are getting the fun going here on a Friday edition of the show covering everything Southern. This is the Y'all Show. Y'all.com is the homepage of the South. And I'm John Rawl, your friendly Y'all narrator. And right now on the program, all about Dixie, we're going to go to a segment we call I-C-Y-M-I in case Y'all missed it. On Wednesday's program, we had the co-owners of Kinship Butcher and Sundry in Atlanta, Georgia, in to talk about their new place in the Peachtree section of downtown Atlanta. Miles Moody and Rachel Pack are the owners of this incredible place in Atlanta, Georgia. And we start out a portion of that interview here in this segment we call ICYMI, talking about wine and what they've got there at Kinship Butcher and Sundry in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I do love wine. I'm a sommelier. I was the um, beverage director at ASCA, as where, where we met in New York. And I'm kind of bringing a similar philosophy where I want to share uh, wine that is at least practicing organic or biodynamic, but I 
don't super care about certification because it's not one size fits all. It's someone's livelihood. So there, there's a lot of interpretation of how people use their philosophies to, to make wine. So it is going to be a natural wine program, but I'm not going to be the funkiest kid, the coolest kid on the block. Um, the wines that I like to, to choose have a wonderful story that um, kind of just portrays that there is someone at this location doing something special and making this bottle for you. And so it's going to have that sense of connection, that, that personal touch, but maybe a little bit more classic in taste. So, And Rachel, we mentioned CSA for some of the meat that will be offered there at Kinship. George has got a lot of wineries. Are you going to be able to offer some of those wines there at Kinship? I hope so. I'm, I'm discovering them, um, and I, I, I can't wait to taste them all. <laughs> Miles, get her up to North Georgia and take her around. Beautiful I, I, place up there. You might even see a ski resort. That's, Perfect. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's one in Georgia, but I could no, be wrong. No. I was hopeful this is the perfect place then. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, it might be perfect, but ski resort. Uh, maybe somewhere around Delonica, somebody can put one in at some point. Okay, you're going to have a shop there at Kinship-ATL.com. Tell me what some of the things that people can find there when that's up and going. So once we have that, obviously, once we have this, the, the main space open, we want to start serving the community through organized boxes. So you can get a butcher box or a veggie box that you can have sort of as a recurring ordered item. Um, and then maybe we can do prepared, start to do prepared, not prepared meals. I mean, um, boxes that basically you get your cut of meat, you get your veggies, you get a dessert like cookie dough, and it's all presented to you, but you have to cook it yourself with instructions. So we create a menu for the night and then you get to add your own spin on things. So that'll be reservable through the shop and then obviously merchandise. So yeah. t-shirts, t-shirts, bags, everything like that. And so. then hopefully we get to do some, our, our kin pop up within our space too. as once we get our feet underneath right. us. So we, we still get our connection to some fine dining, but in a way that's approachable and safe for everybody. Again, Kinship Butcher and Sundry, Atlanta, Georgia. And if you want to go there, the address is 1019 Virginia Avenue. And on a map, if you're looking at downtown Atlanta, you're kind of, what, northeast of downtown? Yes. Okay. Yeah. How far? Everybody wants to know, where are you in relation to a peach tree? <laughs> so... We are east of Peachtree. Um, you're going to have to basically cross all of the roads and streets in that area are kind of diverted due to Piedmont Park, but we're on the opposite side of Piedmont Park from Peachtree. Okay. All right. Again, land kind of a big place for us who aren't yes. so familiar <laughs> with the place. Again, 1019 Virginia Avenue is the actual address when you make your plans to go to Kinship in Atlanta. And I want to ask both of you, I know opening a restaurant has to be a, a lot of fun, but a challenge too. Tell me about the building that you're in there on Virginia Avenue. What What's the history behind it? And have you had to kind of go in and follow a bunch of rules as you get ready to open? So we're actually in a historical preservation building. Um, yeah, I figured you might be. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so it's a, the building's original. I forget the exact date. It's a century old. I think it's. Yeah. Um, and so we are not allowed legally to touch the, the any of the walls, the foundational walls, so those brick walls that give it all of its charm and character, um, which has been, I mean, if you look at the building itself, it's gorgeous. It's timeless. And I think it really, you can see a butcher shop and a grocery shop in that building and you get the sense of place and community and family and, and everything that we wanted to drive in this space. Um, 
the drawback being, of course, that the city is a little bit concerned when it comes to, to all of those sorts of rules and regulations that you have going into a space like that. And uh, so we wouldn't change a thing. The building is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a piece of history itself. Uh, we hope to be to honor it with the kind of community that we'll bring into that space. But it's definitely been a, a slug as far as uh, trying to build out. This is our first <laughs> business. And so we're l- learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And y'all are still together. That's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, we used to work 12 to 16 hours a day and then go home together and still be just fine and exactly. fight and then giggle like none of this is hee-hee-hee. <laughs> 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 so we're, we're used to it, especially after the pandemic. We can spend all of our time together and right. work and together and decide things together. It's great. Great, 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 and great to have miles and rachel on today's y'all show as part of our icymi kinship butcher and sundry in atlanta check them out y'all hey check out southern accent we got a quick look at sports kobe bennett standing by with that report it is coming up right after this commercial break on the show covering everything southern Southern accent. Here's a Southern sports update from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. The biggest show in sports entertainment, WrestleMania, was held April 10th and 11th and was a spectacle to behold. The 37th annual showcase of immortals marked the return of the most vital element for the show, the fans. Last year's event was hosted before an absent audience due to the global pandemic. This year's show not only marked the return of the crowds, but its debut on the Peacock streaming service as well, after NBC acquired the WWE Network earlier this year. Taking place before a sold-out Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, the biggest show in wrestling featured a stacked card spanning two nights, all leading up to the triple threat main event for the Universal Championship as champion Roman Reigns faced challengers Daniel Bryan and the Rated-R Superstar Edge. If one wishes to watch what turned out to be a spectacular overall performance, it's all available for streaming on Peacock. Sports headlines and more at y'all.com. Oh, yeah. All right, I don't know what to make of that right there from Kobe Bennett, but uh, wrestling, yeah, wrestling. I better say it right before some of you start sending the hate mail here on the Y'all Show. That was a big event down in Tampa just the other weekend, and uh, I don't I don't follow that particular, if you want to call it sport, like some of you are out there doing. But also want to remind you, for those of you into this kind of thing, don't forget you got a big UFC thing going down between Masvidal and Usman, 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 that's going on this weekend. Hey, we got it all for you here on the Y'all Show. We got fishing we're going to talk about in the next hour. Craig Faulkner will be in to tell us the fishing forecast for the weekend and also a salute to Roy Orbison. Friday's here. Get your party on with David Lee Murphy. This is the Y'all Show. Put a big smile on your face. Enjoy this one for a little bit. She couldn't keep from crying when she told me goodbye. But I knew the Lord, it was breaking her heart that she was breaking mine. So for the sake of her feelings and the sake of my pride, I told her not to worry about me. So I'm sitting here soaking up the neon lights, misery looking for some 
Come All right, here we go now. I'm looking for a party track, slamming it back, and laughing out loud with the smoke so thick, the blues can't hang around. With the jukebox jumping like it just don't care if they're dancing over here, or fighting over there, I'm making the rounds, looking for a party crowd. It is Friday. It is the weekend. We appreciate everybody tuning us in on great radio stations across the southeast. And also, for those of you who get us via our podcast, that's in iTunes. That's in iHeartRadio. It's also at y'all.com. Y'all the South's homepage. Y-A-L-L.com. John Rawl here. we got Craig Faulkner. He is out here ready to cast his line and come in and tell us all about this weekend's fishing forecast across the southeast. He'll be on in just a few minutes with a look at fishing and hunting and more, getting you ready for the weekend for the outdoors angle, that is. Also, we've got some headlines from across the southeast we've got to get to before the hour's up. And, hey, there's a couple of movies hitting theaters this weekend. If you and Sweetie want to go check out a new release from Hollywood, yeah, you can do that this weekend. And that's part of our Dixie Cinema. That's coming up. But first, we've got to sing along to David Lee Murphy. Join me, Will, if you will. Yes, tonight I'm looking for a party crowd. Slamming them back and laughing out loud with the smoke so thick. The blues can't hang around. Don't be shy. Come on. With the two bars jumping like we just don't care. If they're dancing on the hill or fighting over there, I'm making the rounds. Looking for a party crowd. A little louder. Tonight I'm looking for a party crowd. Slamming back and laughing out loud with the smoke so big the blues can't hang around. We got festivals around the southeast going on this weekend. You can go to the Mullet Toss at the Florabama Lounge right there in Perdido Key, Florida slash Lower Alabama. We got the I got to get it right here. Don't want to mess this one up. You got the 68th world's biggest fish fry that's going down in Paris, Tennessee this weekend, and just so much going on around the southeast. As we are turning the calendar over to May in just a handful of days, it's beautiful. Flowers are still blooming. We're finally getting out and seeing each other like we should have maybe all along, but because of things out of our control, we couldn't. We just need a little dust on the bottle. Trio Williams, they live down a dirt road. You make homemade wine like nobody I know. I dropped by one Friday night and said, can you help me, Creole? I got a little girl waiting on me and I want to trade her ride. He said, I got what you need, son, as we step down in the cellar. He reached through the cobweb as he turned on the light. He said, there might be a little dust on the bottom, but don't let it fool you about what's inside. There might be a little dust on the bottom 
It's one of those things that gets sweeter with time. You were sitting in the porch swing as I pulled up the driveway. My old heart was racing as you climbed inside. You stayed over there close as we drove down to the lake road. Watched the sun fade in that big red sky. I reached down to the front seat and said, Now here's something special. It's just been waiting for a night like tonight. There might be a little dust on the bottom, but don't let it fool you about what's inside. There might be a little dust on the bottom, but it's one of those things that gets sweeter with Oh, we're getting your Friday, Friday on here on the show covering the South. More David Lee Murphy music. I, I don't know why this guy gets two songs, but he does because they are the songs that kind of get all of y'all in the right weekend mode with a little party and a little getting things off that bottle and getting ready for a big weekend. Maybe you're going to go like Craig Faulkner is going to do to the lake, or maybe you're going to go to one of these great festivals around the southeast here this weekend. Maybe you've got some sports on your mind. Remember, we got some incredible college baseball being played. Don't forget Vanderbilt and Mississippi State and Nashville in the top four series going on this weekend there at Dudley along West End. So, yeah, lots of choices, lots of fun. And here on the show, covering everything in the South, we let you know what it's all about. But we also need your help. We need you to let us know what's going on in your world, to quote George Strait. And all you got to do is email us, mail at y'all.com, M-A-I-L at Y-A-L-L dot com is the email address for the show. And our number is 803-816-1170. That's a number you can call or text anytime you want to to tell us what's on your mind and maybe something good that's going on that you need to let us all know about here. Y'all, the show covering the South, and it's so much fun to do it, and it's such an honor to do it as well. And one of the cool things about covering the South and talking about this part of the world is you just never know what you're going to learn, and you're never never quite sure who you're going to find out. Oh, that guy, that lady is from the South. That person is one of us. And we, we don't mind people who aren't one of us. We, we welcome people to the South. You might, you might know that. We're kind of hospitable here. But it's kind of neat when one of our own does great things. And so here on the show today, we're going to celebrate a great Texan who is celebrating or we're celebrating their birth. Back on April 23rd, 1936, Roy Kelton Orbison was born. And he was born in Vernon, Texas. Now, I was not familiar with that big city of Vernon. I had to pull it up on the map to kind of make sure it was where it said it was. It is right on the Red River. It is almost in the panhandle of Texas. So it's way over there almost to Amarillo, but not, it's on that Oklahoma line. And, uh, just it's, it's very rural there. But yeah, Roy Orbison with a birthday here. Today, he, we, of course, we lost Roy Orbison back in 1988 at the age of 52. He passed away outside of Nashville in Henderson. But Roy Orbison was born the middle son of Orby Lee Orbison. How about that first name? Orby, O-R-B-I-E. Born 
to Orby, who was an oil well driller and car mechanic and a nurse, Nadine. Nadine and Orby had a son, and they named him Roy Kelton Orbison, born on this day in 1936. And he considered his voice memorable growing up, but not great. His father gave him a guitar for his sixth birthday, and Roy later recalled, I was finished, you know, for everything else by the time he was seven. And then music became a focus of his life, and he was moved by the music of Lefty Frizzell, a fellow Texan, and then he got influenced by people like Hank Williams, Moon Mullican, and the great train song singer Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music, by the way. But ultimately, Roy had a weekly radio show, maybe on this radio station, but no, actually, it was on KERB in Kermit, Texas. He was offered $400 to play at a dance, and Orbison realized that he could make a bunch of money playing music. He ended up going to school at North Texas University, then called North Texas State College there in Denton, Texas, and then enrolled at Odessa Junior College, where ultimately got teamed up with some fellow musicians. And while living in Odessa, Texas, Orbison saw a performance by Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and ended up touring the area, who were there touring the area, saw that performance back in the mid-50s, and you could say he was bitten by the bug. The Roy Orbison ended up recording a song where they went to Sam Phillips of Sun Records. They went to Memphis as part of the Teen Kings and recorded Ooby Doobie. I haven't heard that one. That song was released in May of 1956 and actually broke onto the Billboard Hot 100. Roy Orbison with his amazing song, his his amazing style. How about those big, thick rim glasses he wore and that dark hair? Just a, a real unique personality in music. And he ended up having some success there. And I actually have the listing of his discography. Let me go ahead and just tell you. His first single or studio album of his own was Roy Orbison at the Rock House. That came out on Sun Records in 1961. And he really didn't have as much success nationally until the album Crying came out in 1962. Of course, that album goes along with that amazing song that came out in the 1960s called Crying. And that was a song that went to number one from that album, Crying. It also followed the song Running Scared from Roy Orbison, who we're saluting here on what would have been his birthday. As I guess if he was alive today, Roy Orbison would be 85 years young today, which I know that seems like a long time ago for some people or a long old age, but that's, I mean, he would be younger than Elvis if he were alive today. And unfortunately, again, he died in 1988, just outside of Nashville. I remember when he died of a heart attack. I'll confirm that here in a minute. But I just remember he had had a lot of stuff going for him when he died there in the late 1980s. Of course, a lot of people know Roy Orbison for songs like Pretty Woman, which is technically called Oh, Pretty Woman. And that was from the album Orba Songs. That was out around 1964. Big song there. Number one across the board. Oh, Pretty Woman. Written by Roy Orbison and Bill Dees. Came out as a single on Monument Records in August of 1964. Another big song he had was called Lena. That was a number one. 
there in the mid-1960s. And then, like all artists, he kind of had a on-again, off-again relationship with hit songs and the radio. And then it wasn't until 1980 that he teamed up with Birmingham's own Emmylou Harris for a song called That Loving You Feeling Again. And that was from the soundtrack for Roadie. And that became a top 10 song at Country Music Radio, That Loving You Feeling Again. And that's when he started kind of building up a relationship with Nashville and the country music industry more than what he had had before. And in 1988-89, right around the time of his passing, the song You Got It came out. And that ended up being a monster smash. And I wonder if it would have been a smash had he not passed away. But regardless, it was a fantastic song. We're going to play it for you in just a second. You Got It from Roy Orbison, number one in all kinds of formats. It got to number seven on the country music format there. And it's a song from his 22nd studio album, Mystery Girl, which came out after his passing. It was released in January of 1989 with The Only One as the B-side. And this song was out on Virgin Records and a great song. You Got It was written by Orbison and his traveling Wilbury's bandmates Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty. Their first songwriting collaboration, this song was written during the Christmas season of 1987. And it was recorded in L.A. at Mike Campbell's Garage. Lynn Petty and Phil Jones provided other instrumentation and background vocals. And if you get this album and, and listen to it closely, Tom Petty, a great Southerner from the state of Florida, Petty is a part of this song with backing vocals and also plays acoustic guitar. Jeff Lynn's also on this, as well as Phil Jones and Michael Utley. But you got Roy Orbison playing the 12-string guitar, as well as singing on You Got It. And as I said, it was a number one around the world from places like Belgium and more. And then Bonnie Raitt, I guess it's a pretty good honor when Bonnie Raitt covers a song like this. And she did that in 1995. You Got It, a fantastic way to wrap up a great career of course, he also, around that same time, late 1980s, was part of the Traveling Wheelberries, and they had some real good success on rock, pop radio, if you want to call it that, there in the late t- 1980s, and they released albums like Traveling Wheelberries, 1988's Traveling Wheelberries, that's when that came out there, and uh, just a, a good collaboration between George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, and Jeff Lynn critically acclaimed album and then again right around that same time period we lost Roy Orbison to uh, an unexpected death there as he died at the age of 52 in Hendersonville Tennessee again just outside of Nashville is where Hendersonville is located he had performed in Ohio on December 4th 1988 and then got back to Hendersonville to rest for a couple of days before he was going to fly to London to film two more videos for the Traveling Wheelberries. And on December 6, 1988, he spent the day flying model airplanes with his sons and ate dinner at the home of the, at his mother's home. I guess his mother had moved from Texas to Hendersonville. And then later that day, Roy Orbison died of a heart attack at 52. A memorial for Roy Orbison was held in Music City and another held in Los Angeles. He was buried at Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, and that is in Los Angeles. Roy Orbison, born on this day in 1936 in the big town of Vernon, Texas. And then, again, late 1988, early into 89, you had this big song, You Got It, 
We're going to play it for the memory of Roy Kelton Orbison on the Y'all Show. Every time I look into your loving eyes I see love that money just can't buy One look from you I drift Norbison, born on this day, April 23rd, 1936, the Texan turned Tennessean and an American music legend. We remember his memory, sadly dying at only 52 years old back in 1988, but he left a repertoire that will continue to play for millions of years ahead and will always remember that incredible sound and incredible look of the South's own Roy Orbison. 
When we come back after this break, get your fishing hook ready. We're going to be talking about the great outdoors. It's the Craig Faulkner Fishing Forecast on the Y'all Show. And we'll find out if he's got something else planned for the weekend besides getting that hook wet. All that ahead on the Y'all Show. Hang on, because if you do, well, we'll be just like Roy Orbison all over some great styles. on the y'all show in this second hour getting you ready for the weekend and for some of you you're getting ready for the lake or maybe some kind of field where you're out slaughtering our wildlife of the southeast we're introducing a brand new segment here on the y'all show the fishing forecast and we got craig faulkner in with us to tell us about the south and what you can expect this weekend on the lakes and fields and whatever else is going on and i'll be very honest with you craig i am not too much of an angler and i'm not much of an outdoorsman but that's why we got you on here so welcome into the y'all show craig well thank you john if you live in the south right now is one of the best times of the year to either go turkey hunting or fishing with me the weather is what makes me make my choice this weekend it's going to be kind of wet saturday it's going to be still kind of a north wind so i'm choosing turkey hunting this weekend but if you're a fisherman it's a great time to go because the water temperature is just about perfect for the crappie spawn. Now, we've had in some portions of the south in the last couple of days a cold front come through. That's a good thing when we're talking about fishing? That's probably a bad thing this oh, time of year. Oh, okay. Uh, one thing you can count on with fishing, there's a lot of electronics and technical devices out there that you can actually see the fish bite your lure this time. And you can see that, but you can't make the fish bite. One rule of thumb I've always gone by is the wind direction. Uh, the wind direction, a lot of that is affecting the barometric pressure. Uh, like when the wind's out of the east, fish bite the least. All but, right, hold on. Let me write this down. When the wind's out of the east, fish, fish bite, bite the least. least. Okay. And the reason for that is... All types of fish have an air bladder in them. The air bladder controls the fish's balance. Hmm. Well, by instinctively having their air bladder thrown off, the fish loses its balance. It goes to the thickest cover it can get in and just sits there and waits in between, you know, sticks or rocks or whatever because it's ba- The fish feels like it's drunk. And it feels susceptible to other predators. Is this freshwater and saltwater fresh fish? Fresh and saltwater okay. fish. 
So barometric pressure rise, winds out of the east, bluebird sky, I don't go fishing. Now, if that's the only day I got to go, I can go. And you can have some luck. But on the other end of the spectrum, winds out of the west, fish bite the best. Ah, let me write that one there. Fish out of the west, fish, uh, winds out of the west, fish bite the best. Okay, tell me about why that is. Again, it goes back to barometric pressure. Normally, when the wind's out of the west, you're going to have a little bit of overcast, probably a steady barometric pressure. As long as the barometric pressure is steady, that's the most important thing. It's when it makes a quick change that uh, really affects the fish's air bladder. And winds out of the north don't go forth okay. for multiple reasons. One reason is it's cold and it's windy. And, again, the barometric pressure is not so much affected as the cold conditions. It's just not comfortable to be out there. You can catch them when the wind's out of the north. Wind's out of the south, blows a fly in the fish's mouth. Oh, hold on. I'm going to have to really write this one down. What did you just say? Wind's out of the south, blows the fly in the fish's mouth. Fish are feeding. That's a good thing. Bugs are out. So is it what's better, a west or a south wind? Southwest. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's my favorite. Southwest wind. So we're still gonna have a northern breeze this Saturday. Is that all so, across the south? Not all across the south, but you know, that Arctic cold front that came in earlier this week came all the way across the country. You know, that, that's unusual to have a Arctic front come in uh, this late in April. Oh, and one other thing to give you a heads up on. This coming up Monday's a full moon. Full moon. Are you sure about that? I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and check you on this. April twenty sixth, Monday, full moon. What does that have to do with fish? Three days before, three days after, it's the lunar tables and the tides. It's the tides in the Gulf of Mexico. It even affects the lunar phrases all over the southeast. And it doesn't matter if you're fishing the Gulf of Mexico or you're fishing a pond in your backyard. It's a good time to go fishing. Fish will feed. Fish tend to spawn during full moons. Fish are active. So anytime within the next six days, you got a good chance of catching some fish. All right. I'm going to double check you on that. Now, you said you're taking a break from the lake this weekend because you're going to go turkey hunting. Well. Now, every state's a little different. Are there fall turkey seasons in the southeast? Uh, there are in certain states. Okay. But uh, it's normally a one-bird limit, and it's a lot different than the spring because the spring turkey hunting, uh, you can actually call the turkeys in. You can fool the uh, the tom turkey with a female turkey call. Well, that may be in some sound. states. We always got to be careful when it comes to each state and how you – you better check the laws of your state. But exactly. in your state, you can call them. You can call them. Are you good at a turkey call? Um, I'm halfway decent. I'm halfway decent. I like to use a slate call. It's a piece of slate, and you have a stick, and you rub it across the slate to make different sounds. You can go in circles. You can go in straight lines. And all of them is a designated call. Uh, you hit the wrong sound, and the turkey will run. You hit the right sound, you find out what he's wanting romance, what sound he likes, and you can bring him right in. Is there any way to know before you get out there? Well, you've, you've got to know what sounds turkeys make and how they react when they're making that sound. There's a, 
a sharp pitch quick sound when you spook a turkey. So you don't want to do that one. You want to do more like a love song to them. Okay. Now, when you're turkey hunting, and again, I repeat here on the Y'all Show with John Rawl, I am no outdoorsman. So I'm, if you're not an outdoorsman either, then you are in luck here because I'm helping you through this. We're not getting too over the top here. When you're out hunting turkeys, does a turkey normally run in a gang or they're out there by themselves? <laughs> well, I'm actually, sure there's a nickname of what they're called. Yeah. What are they called? I, I just call them a group of turkeys. Group myself. of turkeys. Okay. <laughs> group of turkeys. Uh, you'll see hens uh, by themselves, hen being the female. Mm-hmm. You'll see hens in groups. Uh, I was out the other day. I saw a group of six. I saw a couple groups of two. And I also saw some singles. Um, now, the gobblers, the gobblers, the male turkey, they get aggressive. They have their own turf, just like other animals do, the dominant turkey. They'll actually fight over hens and run the other gobbler off. Um, the I best mean, the Can best, those fights turn out to be deadly? They can. Really? They certainly can. Turkey's got spurs on it, and... Uh, you know, the birds weigh anywhere from 18 to 25 pounds. And, uh, of course, you know the kind of exercise they get. They're out running around 24-7. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you'll see groups, but the best situation uh, you can have is when a male turkey comes into the field or comes into view and there are no hens around, and hopefully he's listening more intently to your call but uh, sometimes you got to take what you can get so this you think is going to be you told us about the fishing forecast for this weekend the turkey forecast based on the weather good well that's the thing the weather doesn't really bother the turkeys you can uh-huh. go and the wind doesn't bother them the rain doesn't bother them they just kind of do their own thing uh, when they get in the mood they get out and strut <laughs> strut. They, a turkey does strut. Yeah, I've seen it. That's how you know it's a turkey and not a vulture when you're driving the highways <laughs> and byways of the southeast. They kind of look the same from a distance. They kind of do. They kind of do. But when you see that head strutting, you know you're turkey. And Craig Faulkner had that head of strutting when he came in here to talk about fishing. Fishing and hunting, you you like that, don't you? Kind of been my thing. It's how I was raised. Oh, is that right? Well, I guess that's a southern thing. That's what a lot of southerners do. There. Well, we wish you all the best, Craig, in your effort to turkey hunt. And if you don't mind, next week we're going to ask how it all went for you. And then we will, we'll talk about what's on tap for the next. I mean, something tells me you do something in the outdoors every single weekend. Pretty much. All right. Pretty much. All right. Craig Faulkner here on the Y'all Show and his fishing forecasts. That was fun. We've got more sports to tell you about. We'll do that next, plus a quick look at some of the new movies out across the Southeast. All that here on the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent. Go get your pole and get your hook and your bait and have a good weekend.
say it ain't so, BB. This is the Y'all Show Friday edition. Getting you ready for the weekend. Hour three is only moments away of the Y'all Show, and our crews will be in with a look at more coverage of what's going on in the Columbus, Ohio shooting. This is that shooting that LeBron James tweeted and then took it away and more, and we'll get some feedback from our crews on what's going on there from the state capital of Ohio, Yankee land. Also, baseball with some rule changes and proposed rule changes, and Art thinks that they're kind of ruining the game, and we'll tell you about that, get his thoughts on that. Maybe you've got some thoughts about all that. Also, some favorite Western cowboy movies and television shows, all that from Art Cruz coming up in Hour 3. Ought to be a lot of fun as we wind down this here y'all show. Talk with a southern accent. Our website, y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com. Well, we have some news headlines that we want to pass along, but also we're going to let you know that sadly in the world of college basketball on Thursday, we lost a 19-year-old college basketball player from the University of Kentucky, Terrence Clark, was killed in Los Angeles following a car accident there as he was a freshman guard for Coach John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats men's basketball team last year. According to LAPD, a solo occupant in a vehicle ran a red light going at a very high rate of speed and ended up having this incident captured on surveillance video. This person struck another vehicle that was preparing to make a left-hand turn and when striking the vehicle hit a street light pole and ultimately hit a block wall. And Clark was transported to Northridge Hospital where he died as a result of the collision. So a Kentucky Wildcat basketball player, 19-year-old Terrence Clark, sadly, is killed in a car wreck on Thursday. Continuing on with a look at other headlines from across the southeast here on the Y'all Show Officers in Florida have now been charged with issuing dozens of bogus citations. Now, that's not what we wanted to see, hear, or read about after we saw what happened in Minneapolis with Officer Chauvin or former Officer Chauvin. Two Florida police motorcycle officers facing charges that they issued dozens of bogus tickets to drivers they actually never pulled over. Officers or Arias Martinez, age 23, and Armando Perez, a 40-year-old Hialeah officer, are facing counts of official misconduct after their arrest on Wednesday. Perez has been with the city of Hialeah's police department for five years and Martinez with them for four years. An internal affairs investigation found the two had issued dozens of bogus tickets to at least nine drivers early in 2020. The Miami Herald reports the scheme fell apart when lawyers who specialize in defending drivers who get tickets started soliciting business from people who had no idea what they were talking about. One law office asked a person named Russell Sosa Polo if they wanted help with the 10 tickets that they had received, and Sosa had never been pulled over, but remembered driving past two highly up motorcycle officers recently and ended up filing a complaint with Hialeah police. I don't know if these police officers uh, there in Hialeah are on commission and they have to come up with tickets every year to get their take-home pay, but yeah, coming up with bogus tickets is the latest black eye, if you will, on law enforcement. This coming from South Florida. 
the Texas Longhorn Band will be required to play the Eyes of Texas. I think we're required to play that here on the Y'all Show. I think I've got it here. I'll cue it up and give it a spin while we're talking about this great song here from the state of Texas, the Eyes of Texas. Uh, There you go. I got it. I got it right here. How about that? Pretty good timing here on the Y'all Show that we can play this song here. Getting you ready for college baseball for those Texas Longhorns. I'll have that playing while we talk about the eyes of Texas. Yes, the University of Texas announcing that its traditional marching and pep bands will be required to play the eyes of Texas when they return to performing. But a new band will also be created that won't play the school song with racist elements in its past. This move was sharply criticized by the state chapter of the NAACP, and it comes nearly two months after the University of Texas president, Jay Hartzell, said no student or athlete would be required to sing the song that has been mired in controversy. A group of Texas athletes and students last summer called for the eyes of Texas to be dropped amid racial injustice protests after the killing of George Floyd. So out of Austin, the 48 groups... President Hartzell, with the full backing of the University of Texas's Board of Regents, said the song would stay, and a university report released in early March concluded there was no racist intent behind the song, whose roots are in the early 1900s minstrel shows with musicians often in blackface. So if, if something from 100 years ago, someone in blackface performed it, that means it has to be canceled. I'm sure somebody... In blackface 100 years ago may have sung the national anthem of the United States or perhaps even Amazing Grace. Who knows what they were doing back then? That was even before video cameras 100 plus years ago. But that from Texas. Hey, Texas fans, horns up to you. You can uh, still have fun with the eyes of Texas. Let's go to the SEC for really a news story, but it's about an SEC school. LSU's mascot, real life mascot, Mike the Tiger. Uh, some messages coming out of Baton Rouge. Mike the Tiger, the cute little tiger there on the campus, got his own habitat. The habitat there on the campus has received some unwelcome flair, and the keepers of Mike the Tiger, of Mike the Tiger, are asking the public to beware. On Wednesday, Mike the Tiger's Facebook page posted pictures of confetti that found its way into the tiger, the real-life tiger's habitat there on the LSU campus. On the post, it says that the glittery paper and plastic is a real problem for Mike the Tiger. Caretakers believe the confetti is blowing in from students taking graduation pictures nearby, and that's blowing into Mike's yard Now, they were able to clean up this trash, but say that if Mike the Tiger were to get at it before they noticed, it could be harmful to the real-life tiger if he eats it. And something tells me, as good as Mike the Tiger is and as much as he's beloved by the LSU community, yeah, confetti might just be something he might have to go take a little snack of and it could end up killing him. Mike the Tiger asked that those taking photos not use confetti on the LSU campus. And then we got graduation coming up in Baton Rouge in just a couple of days. No more confetti. I'm for outlawing confetti all the time everywhere. I think it's silly. And you know what, LSU? 
you can actually start a trend. And that trend is, remember in college sports, the Super Bowl and more, when a team wins a championship, they have confetti fall from the ceiling. Maybe they don't need to do that. Maybe they can start a trend of ending confetti in America. Make confetti go away could be a new theme. Sad news out of Memphis as longtime Tennessee State Senator Thelma Harper has died at the age of 80. Now, if you follow Tennessee's state politics at all, she always stood out. She often wore a hat, one of those hats that ladies wear at a church. She wore that in Nashville as a Tennessee legislator. Thelma Harper was a former state senator who represented Memphis's 19th district in the Tennessee State Senate for many, many years. And she died on Thursday at 80 years old. Her daughter, Linda Harper, said that it is with unimaginable sorrow and heartbreak that we announced the passing of my mother, former State Senator Thelma Harper. She passed peacefully and unexpectedly this morning, holding my hand. Now, Thelma Harper was the longest-serving woman in Tennessee State Senate history. And a a lady, again, if you follow Tennessee politics at all, even if you don't live in Tennessee, she always stood out with those hats and was a very outspoken person coming from Memphis and West Tennessee there in the state legislature, the Hill of Nashville. Thelma Harper, former state senator in Tennessee, dying at the age of 80 years old. And some state politics to tell you about from South Carolina this time. The Palmetto State's quirky liquor laws are giving sour grapes to a winemaker. This biggest winemaker in the country wants to open up what's called an East Coast Bottling and Distribution Center in South Carolina and are willing to invest $400 million and hire up to 500 people. But its request to open tasting rooms where the public can then sample the wines made there has some South Carolina lawmakers and small business crying, as the article says, sour grapes. E&J Gallo Wineries call for tasting rooms in exchange for hundreds of millions of dollars is seen as a prize catch for Chester County. Now, that is in the upstate, or really more toward Charlotte, North Carolina. Chester County is kind of between Columbia and Charlotte, North Carolina. One of the poorest areas of the state of South Carolina, by the way. And this California winemaker, E&J Gallo, want to come in there and put a lot of money and have people come taste their wine. And they're citing BMW when BMW decided to move to Greer, South Carolina in the mid-1990s. And that's been an amazing success with over 11,000 people calling BMW their labor home. 11,000 employees there at BMW in South Carolina. But now this tasting room is up for discussion and, and South Carolina may stop it. A bill allowing the tasting rooms passed barely before a deadline earlier this month and a House subcommittee gave its okay on Thursday, but it's still not a law in South Carolina. And this goes back to history. In 1892, South Carolina nearly approved prohibition, but instead gave the state a monopoly on the liquor business. So corruption followed, but the state remained slow in changing its laws. There are no true bars, just private clubs. Public places that sell liquor must also have a restaurant operation. I think they have like a third party that handles a lot of this stuff. In fact, if you know anything about South Carolina and liquor, it wasn't just a few years ago that the state 
ended up being the last state in the country that required many bottles if you wanted a liquor drink. The bartenders all had those little airplane bottles, and that was required if you wanted a liquor drink. That's how it had to be poured out of. Now, some people thought it was silly. I thought it was pretty cool because at least you knew exactly the amount of liquor you were getting because sometimes if you are a liquor drinker and you go into bars, you have to wonder if the bartender really gave you your full dose of medicine or not based on uh, based on what your drink tasted like. But uh, that's for all of you liquor drinkers out there. I guess you don't have to worry about it if you're a beer drinker. And that is a quick look at what's going on in the world of news and more here on the y'all show friday edition when we come back believe it or not there are a few movies hitting theaters and when we come back after this little timeout, i'll tell you a couple of these movies out there if you and sweetie want to go do something really different something maybe you haven't done in let's say a year there are a handful of choices out there for your viewing pleasure so stick around for that selection on dixie cinema and don't forget, Hour 3 Art Cruise will be in here to talk about sports and news and fun and just so much more. It's the Y'all Show. We'll be right back. We are closing up hour two on the Y'all Show, and if you live in an area where there's a movie theater, if you haven't gone by there, hey, they just might have some stuff for you to check out here. This is a segment on the Y'all Show getting you ready for the weekend called Dixie Cinema. What's going on in the South in terms of choices of movies here this weekend? Well, let me tell you, there's not too many choices, but to the benefit of Hollywood, there are at least a handful of things for you to consider as you get ready to take your loved one or your kids, or just if you want to reward yourself, you can hit the theater here this weekend. Mortal Kombat 2021 is out. MMA fighter Cole Young seeks out Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. Out this weekend is Mortal Kombat. And as you could guess, it's an action-adventure movie. Who knew? We Broke Up is a comedy out this weekend. Aya Cash and William Jackson Harper star in this. Longtime couple Lori and Doug break up just days before Lori's little sister Bea's wedding to Jason. In order to not disrupt the fun, they decide to pretend they're still together until the weekend is over. A comedy, We Broke Up, it's out here this weekend. And lastly is a looks like a thriller and an action movie that should be worth checking out sean patrick flannery michael j white mark de saskos weston cage coppola and more star in this christopher ray directed film assault on va 33 and what is this all about decorated veteran and ptsd surfer jason hill played by Sean Patrick Flannery, meets his wife, Jennifer, for lunch at the Veterans Affairs Hospital where she works. After Jennifer is called away for an emergency consultation with the head of U.S. military's Joint Chiefs of Staff, the hospital is then taken hostage by a heavily armed terrorist. Then Jason becomes the last line of defense and must battle the terrorist and his own own PTSD-induced demons to save his wife, the General 
and the hospital's staff and patients. Out this weekend, the action thriller Assault on VA-33, starring Sean Patrick Flannery. And I'm going to click on him. I'm, his name looks familiar. I'm not too familiar with his repertoire, as he is a Southerner. Sean Patrick Flannery, born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, raised outside of Houston, Texas, and some of the other films and stuff that he's been involved in. He was in Lady Driver, Acceleration, American Fighter, and he also was in the TV series The Bay. And this Louisiana native, Sean Patrick Flannery, starring in this brand new movie out this weekend that you and whoever you want to can join you for. I'm going to have to see this one because it looks pretty darn exciting. Assault on VA 33, out from Hollywood this weekend. All right, well, that will conclude Hour 2 of the Y'all Show. Got you all lined up with fishing and hunting and going to movies and just celebrating Roy Orbison here this second hour. We're going to have Art Cruz in in Hour 3. Don't miss out on the fun there as we wind down Y'all for another week. Stay where you are. Welcome back, friends and neighbors, to the show that covers everything in the South. This is The Y'all Show. Y'all.com is our homepage, and you can connect to us via text or Twitter or any other way. 803-816-1170 is the way to text or call us, 803-816-1170. I am John Rawl, now joined with Art Cruz. We're going to cruise the South and so much more. Art, are you ready for the weekend, sir? I am more than ready, John. I think it's going to be a little wet, but we can work around it. Yeah, wet, we maybe a it. little bit. Uh, you better have that jacket in the car, depending on what your plans are. But the weekend's here, and we're going to celebrate it. And before we know it, May is going to be here and all the fun that that offers. So we've got this hour. We're going to cruise the South with Art. we got some more headlines from across the Southeast that we'll get to. And also, we will have from Dixie would love to wrap it all up here on the y'all show so we are continuing to kind of keep up with what's going on in the world of news slash sports which on Thursday y'all show you kind of had a case against LeBron James art and now this LeBron James running his mouth was about a, a young teenage girl getting killed in Columbus Ohio and you have something to say about the way the media, including maybe this show, has covered the Columbus, Ohio show. Well, I don't have anything to say about you, John, but go ahead. And the way this show's covered it, because um, I would certainly hurt me financially. <laughs> I'm becoming independently wealthy almost immediately as a result of my appearances here. But no, in all seriousness, we are ex- experiencing. Social brainwashing, once again, from our news media in the way they are covering this story. Uh, Of course, um, from time to time, you are fond of reminding everyone, especially me when we're in a group of people, uh, how much older I am than you are, John. And and I'm going to call upon my age here and hearken back to a time when you could watch the TV news, when you could watch uh, 
Chet Huntley and David Brinkley Who? Uh, on NBC. Yes, those were the guys on NBC at the same time Walter Cronkite was on CBS. And to say that those guys who were icons of the media had no bias would be incorrect because everything that we say comes with a personal bias. Now, that bias may come from our upbringing. That bias may come from our political persuasion. But we are a we are subjective beings. We cannot be objective uh, by the mere definition of the word. But today's media has gone far beyond bias, John, and it's really, really apparent in stories like we have in Columbus. They've gone past bias to, quite frankly, just downright lying. Uh, They are professionally uh, intervening in stories, constructing the narrative that they want to construct, and forcing that upon us. Now, give me some examples. Well, Stacey Abrams is somebody that gets on my nerves, quite frankly. She ran for governor a couple of years ago, and it seemed like she has made a career of saying that the election was stolen from her. As a matter of fact, she parlayed that into rumors of being chosen as Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate. But Stacey Abrams spoke out uh, on the shooting in Columbus, Ohio. And just to back up just a moment, of course, there were two young women fighting. One had a knife and was attacking the other. The police were called. A policeman visited upon the scene, saw what was happening, saw one of the women about to stab the other one, and shot her. Now, what did Stacey Abrams, who's now a media darling and who's now on any media that she can get herself on on a regular basis, she says there was no, and I emphasize the word no, there was no justification for shooting that young lady without some sort of intervention. Putting on my lawyer hat, John, I would love to cross-examine Stacey Abrams with reference to that statement because words have meaning. Our language means something. And it's easy for someone to go on TV or go on the radio and be a talking head and sprout phrases like, there was no justification without some form of intervention. What does that mean? He did intervene. He stopped one woman from stabbing another woman, possibly killing her. How was he supposed to intervene otherwise? Was he supposed to go up and play Simon Says with her? Was he supposed to go up and physically stop her in another way? Well, if he did, he would certainly be putting at risk the life of the other young woman. And as people like Stacey Abrams who comment on situations like we have now, which are polarizing in our country, they've got to add their two cents worth in, and they don't care if it's biased. They don't care if they're telling the truth. They don't care other than being able to come on TV in order to join with the media and construct their own narrative in order to build their brand. And that's what Stacey Abrams is doing, and that's what so many other people are doing. I'll, I'll give you another example. Is it Gene Psaki? 
who is the Saki. uh uh the uh, the uh, white house spokesman that's right and i don't thank you for 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 okay. jumping in the breach there john she said that the Columbus shooting was tragic, and I don't think anybody would say that the shooting was anything other than tragic. But it's what she said next that really bothers me. She says that this incident in Columbus will fuel the White House to continue addressing systemic racism. When I see a human being with a knife out attacking another human being and could take that other human being's life my mind does not leap to whether there exists systemic racism in this country or not but once again instead of addressing the facts Jean, Jen Psaki immediately jumps to the racial angle because we have a white policeman shooting a young black woman. And Jen says this incident will provide fuel to the White House to continue to address systemic racism. Obviously, the the unsaid thing in her statement was that this shooting was the product of systemic racism. I would say no. This shooting is not the product of systemic racism. It's not the product of racism, period, systemic or otherwise. It's the symptom of a police officer doing his duty, being called and be, and responding when he's called, and once upon the scene, having mere seconds to evaluate the situation, which I believe he evaluated correctly. He saw a woman's life about to be taken. And he took action to stop that from occurring. But no, this the media takes this and they immediately want to change the narrative to systemic racism. Why can't we just report the facts as they are, John? Understanding once again that everyone has biases, but these are just downright falsehoods. I hate to call them lies. I've, uh, one of the things I've I was counseled when I was a young lawyer, and I've counseled other young lawyers, is not to call people liars. That's pretty harsh, but these are falsehoods. They are they, These people are challenged by the truth when they report on stories like this and use the story as an angle to report on what they call systemic racism. Well, I noticed I've heard... We, we reference him a lot, but I like to give the guy credit because, first of all, he's in the South. He's in Nashville. Clay Travis, I caught some of his show on Friday, and he he was off. I mean, he, he was going off on the media, and he does that regularly anyway, but he was angry. I actually heard him with an expletive on this Friday edition, and part of that was – his anger is at the way the media just falls over LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And LeBron James did something dumb on Wednesday by tweeting and then taking it back. Well, what Clay Travis did is he said he intentionally didn't really say anything on Thursday. He wanted to see how the media would react to what LeBron James did and then took it back. How would they cover that? And Clay Travis said, I intentionally didn't really weigh in at all Thursday. 
but I am today. Right. He gave it 24 hours, and he said the media, according to Clay Travis, didn't do a darn thing against LeBron James. And then somebody else brought up to me the fact that how can Twitter ban Donald Trump, but they won't ban LeBron James for what he did, which was essentially a direct threat. A threat. Yes. That was a direct threat. You know, picking up along those lines, when LeBron tweeted this, uh, I couldn't help but notice that ESPN Sports Center broke into their and I'm drawing a contrast here between uh, how ESPN ESPN constructs their own narrative and how they report the facts when the George Floyd verdict was announced the other day ESPN which many of you know and some of you don't know but stands for the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network it's a 24-hour sports channel they broke into their normal coverage and headlining their breaking news was the fact that the George Floyd verdict had been delivered by the jury. And I sat there and I looked and I listened and I tried to do what Mr. Travis did, which is not to react quickly. I tried to divorce myself from the moment But then I kept asking myself a question to which I had no answer, and that is, why is the George Floyd verdict headlining ESPN and this 24-hour sports station? It's not a sports story. It's It's not close to a sports story. The only reason it has any connection with sports is because some of the professional and college athletes that we have in this country who have a bully pulpit to speak out about things about which they know nothing have spoken in their roles as social justice warriors about George Floyd and about other topics that they feel are important. I hope uh, most people can do what I do, quite frankly, and and that is when someone talks, try to discern what they're an expert about. And if they're not talking about something within their field of expertise, take it with a grain of salt. And SportsCenter that day on ESPN had wall-to-wall coverage of the George Floyd verdict and had athlete after athlete after athlete passing upon our criminal justice system that it was systemically racist and everything else that was wrong with the world today. Now, I bring this up, John, in order to make a point with reference to your bringing up LeBron James' tweet. You have an iconic basketball player in LeBron James, obviously the most famous NBA player in the world today, who tweets out a threat to an individual police officer in Columbus, Ohio, not only tweets out a threat to this officer, but posts the officer's picture and says in the tweet, you're next. So I was interested at that point as to how ESPN would cover LeBron James' tweet. That tweet occurred in the afternoon hours. There was nothing on SportsCenter whatsoever Hmm. at 6 o'clock. There was nothing on SportsCenter whatsoever at 10 o'clock. I looked on ESPN.com to see if 
what had gone viral on Twitter, what had gone viral on news sites, to see if ESPN was even covering on their website the fact that LeBron James had threatened this police officer. And survey says? About 10 o'clock God's time, Central Time, that evening, finally, on their homepage, ESPN covered LeBron James' threat to this Columbus police officer. So there's the distinction I'm trying to draw about media coverage. When the George Floyd verdict comes down with no apparent connection to sports. Other than sports teams saying they were going to maybe cancel or postpone games if rioting started happening. But really, but the, I agree with you, John, but there was really nothing in their coverage about that. It was about the nuts and bolts of of uh, the case itself, uh, the fact that uh, Officer Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes and twenty nine seconds, and I'm listen. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to belittle whatsoever the George Floyd verdict or what happened on that tape. Any human being can watch that tape has to be repulsed by the fact that a man has another man in handcuffs, has him down on the ground, and stands on his neck for almost 10 minutes while the man being choked says, I can't breathe, and he screams for his mother. I'm not trying to minimize that whatsoever. I am just speaking to the media's coverage of it. And when you have the media breaking into their coverage, ESPN, putting everything else on the back burner to report on something that has really no application to sports. But on the other hand, when a sports superstar threatens a police officer, something that would have gotten, as you say, John, Donald Trump or you or me put in Twitter jail, Mm. we would have been removed from Twitter if we had physically threatened someone else. That is not even reported on ESPN. Well, that that is the contrast we see in the media. I don't today. know about y'all, but I'm frankly tired of having athletes, movie stars, singers and more weigh in with political uh, their political thoughts. I'm tired of it and I only bring this up because I think the Olympics are tired of it. If you follow that story this week, it came out that they're not going to allow protest. I saw that, John. I'm actually impressed by that. Well, I, I, I saw that, and the reason set forth by the Olympic Committee were that there is no place on the field of athletics for political expression, for divisiveness, and the like. But I just don't see how they're going to enforce that, because... This started in the Mexico Olympics. Golly, Bill, when was that? 1968, I believe, when Tommy Smith and John Carlos uh, finished 1-2 in the 200-meter dash, I believe. And when they took the victory stand, they bowed their heads when the the Star-Spangled Banner was played, and they each had a black glove on their fist and raised their fist into the air. I understand that the Olympic Committee says we'll have none of that. But on the other hand, if two guys like Tommy Smith and John Carlos decide that they're going to demonstrate, they're going to demonstrate and there won't be anything that the Olympic Committee can do about it once uh, once it's already occurred. So it, to me, the interesting story is uh, it's almost like the Supreme Court in the United States, John. Uh, Andrew Jackson one time said, well, the Supreme Court has spoken. Now let's see them back it up. Hmm. Well, that's the way I feel about the Olympic Committee. They have spoken. Now 
I'm interested to see what they can do to back it up. Wasn't that a black power salute? It was. Black, yes, it was yeah. black power. And, and that same guy, I don't remember which one, I believe it was Tommy, the NFL used him on commercials this past season as part of their initiative to social justice. He actually was one of their spokespersons in a commercial. On the, If he's the one that's living, or maybe they're both living, I don't know. But, yeah, that's where he popped up. One of the things that struck me about that at the time, John, was that, you know, usually if you raise your hand in protest, you raise your right hand or your right fist. And one thing I couldn't help but notice, I don't know why it struck me this way, but it stayed with me for, what, 50 years plus now? I noticed that those guys only bought one pair of black gloves because one of them raised their right hand with hmm. a black glove on it, and the other raised the, his left hand with a Man. black glove on it. looks like they could have gone ahead and, and, and sprung for two pair of black gloves where mm-hmm. each of them could have worn a glove on his right hand. Maybe but, that was actually in the days where amateur athletes were indeed amateurs. Now you have to wonder about all of that. We've got more to talk about with Art Cruz here on the Y'all Show you don't want to miss out on. We've got Cruz in the South with Art coming up after this break. Also, a quick look at what's going on around the South as well before the hour is up as we roll on with more of the show that's all about the South. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. I want to let you know that this weekend – Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon, and round two is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend. That's right, this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Pick either main event fighter to win during this weekend's UFC 261 title fight, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 26 to 1 odds. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win, and if they walk out with the belt, you will cash $130. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is, and that, of course, is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and of course, so, so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WTJK when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code WTJK to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text the Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789. The 
sun shone bright and clear that day. We all left Washington to lick the rebel boys in gray at the Battle of Bull Run. They came from Pennsylvania, and some from Maryland, to see the rebel boys get spanked with the honest Abe's broad hand. We said we'll run them to Atlanta and to Galveston Bay. But they ran us back to Washington, Philadelphia, and Philadelphia. The ladies oh, yeah, taking you back here on the Y'all Show with John Rawl, Art Cruz. Art, uh, trivia question. Who's that fella singing that song? You know, I thought at the beginning, and I know I'm wrong, but... The guy that sang a lot of songs like that was Johnny Horton. You are correct. Is that Johnny yeah, Horton? It's called the Battle of Bull Run. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, of that's, course, uh, most known for the, going, the Battle of New Orleans. I'm going to DraftKings.com or somewhere <laughs> and place a bet today because if I got that one right, yeah. my luck has turned. Right? It's absolutely turned. Yeah, we're playing that because I was going to talk to you about Westerns, but you've got something kind of like a Battle of Bull Run that might be raging with you in your battle against the media you're well, not done with this, so go ahead and file your case. Well, I just it was it was pretty easy if you just had your television on or read a few websites the past few days to see these horrible takes in the media about the horrific event in Columbus where a police officer in discharging his duties properly had to shoot a young girl who was about to stab another girl that she was in a fight with one of my favorite whipping girls joy behar was on, <laughs> on the view the other day and of course she couldn't contain don't herself. don't tell me you watched the view oh no lord john if i did i would never admit it to you and certainly never admit it over the air but uh, joy behar on the view did say that the officer quote could have just shot his gun up in the air close quote now joy behar I believe is older than I am and comes from a generation uh, even older than I. And I don't think Joy realizes that, especially in the South, where we grow up around guns and and handle guns all the time, uh, the sound of a gun doesn't necessarily make you stop doing something. I remember back in the day, John, that People could point a gun at you or they could pull a gun on you, and that would be the end of the story. But guns are prevalent now and always have been prevalent in the South, and the mere presence of a gun or the sound of a gun is not going to stop someone if they're in the middle of stabbing another individual. And Joy also went on to say, and this is this is where you really realize the bias of an individual, because in making this statement, Joy Behar essentially foreclosed any support of the police officer. She said, even if the policeman had to do it, there's something wrong with that. Now, as I said earlier, words have meaning. Language is important. And Joy Behar has said that even if the policeman had to do it, if even if he had to shoot this young woman, there's something wrong with that. No, Joy, there's not anything wrong with that if he had to do it. By definition, if he had to do it, he didn't make a mistake. Joy Behar, once again, and one of her partners, and I'm not as familiar with Joy Hostin as I am Joy Behar. Sonny? 
about her name's Sonny? Is that her? I, I don't know. So I am I am giving bona fides right now to my answer, John, that I don't watch The View. The mere fact that I say I'm not familiar with this woman, but she did say this, quoting, now, we shouldn't live in a country where it's okay for police to shoot a 16-year-old four times in the chest over a fight. Close quote. If someone has a knife pulled on me and we're fighting, I'm going to pray that a police officer comes along and shoots that person four times in the chest or shoots that person somewhere to stop him from attacking me and possibly taking my life. I think one thing we don't think about too much, the guns have been in the crosshairs of those who want to eliminate the Second Amendment and such, but man, there's a lot of people who lose their life every year to knives and guns. Uh, you know, to be stabbed to death. That's a common form I, of death. I wish I had um I wish I had done some background work on that, John, and had some statistics for you, but you're exactly right. Uh but of course that doesn't that doesn't bubble under and get the news media coverage that guns do. But if you don't think that's true, look at the deaths that occur in England. Look at the deaths that occur in France. Knife killings are rampant in those countries that have strident anti-gun laws. So you're right. We just substitute uh, knife deaths for another instrument uh when we try to take away our Second Amendment rights. Uh, Joy Reid. My oh, goodness gracious. MSNBC's I mean, Joy Reid. MSLSD, as I like to call it. Uh, I don't know how many brain cells one has to have in order to have a job on MSLSD, but obviously after listening to Joy Reid, you don't have to have too many. Joy Reid said this, and this piggybacks upon your point, John, about knives being dangerous. Joey Reed said this was just a knife fight and that teachers break up knife fights all the time without having to shoot people. I'd like to see Joey Reed try to break up a knife fight by just striding in and what, you know, quoting the Magna Carta. Uh, what would she do to stop a knife fight when someone is intent, when their blood is boiling and someone is intent on injuring someone else with a knife? And the the unfamiliarity of people with guns sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the times, just floors me. Uh, the Columbus police chief, after this shooting occurred, held a press conference, did what I think was an excellent job in fielding questions from reporters. But one reporter criticizing the policeman involved said that he felt as though the shooting Toward center mass was not necessary. He said that the policeman should have shot the person with the knife in the leg. As a matter of fact, the reporter challenged the police chief by saying, why didn't your officer just shoot the perpetrator in the leg? I would like for someone to hand that reporter a gun and see if he could shoot that perpetrator in the leg. People have become so immune to how difficult it is to shoot a gun and specifically a pistol because the only contact they have with guns is on TV or is in the movies. They don't realize that it's very, very difficult to pick out a specific body part and shoot that body part. 
It's Guns don't work like the way we see them in Western movies. You're not able to quick draw and shoot the gun out of someone's hand. You're not able to shoot someone in the leg necessarily when you want to. You're able to shoot someone, or as a matter of, excuse me, the way you shoot someone is to shoot at what they call center mass. And at that point, under the pressure that is exigent at that particular time, you hope that you hit your target. And that's what this policeman did. He's not able to shoot somebody in the foot. He's not able to wing somebody in the arm. He did his duty. And these people, once again, who have no expertise in the field that they're addressing, feel as though they're entitled to criticize this policeman. Please keep in mind that these people have no clue about what they're talking about and are just delivering talking points for the left. I understand. Art Cruz here with us on the Y'all Show. And I have not been a law enforcement officer. I know you may have dealt with some through your years of being a lawyer. But they're conditioned. They're trained for center mass. Am I right? That's correct. That's the only area they train for. That's correct. Um, I, I Go to the shooting range sometime, those of you that are listening. Go to your local shooting range, and if you haven't practiced in a long time, set the target out to about 20 to 30 feet. Not a long-distance shot. 30 feet is just 10 yards. And pull the trigger on your pistol and try to shoot that target center mass. And then let us know here on the Y'all Show how far you missed center mass on your shot uh you'll be lucky if you hit the target at all uh you can go out to any local target range indoor or outdoor and see where people have attempted to shoot targets but have shot and missed because there are holes in the ceilings on the floors and on the walls of shooting ranges where people absolutely miss their target 100 percent, and that's not under any pressure and that's not shooting at another human being that's shooting at a piece of paper shooting a pistol i don't care what your training is is a lot more difficult than what you've been led to believe on tvs and movies and a police officer is not able to merely wing someone when he wants to i have to confess here and I really probably shouldn't do this publicly. The last time I was at a shooting range, I had an M16. Yes, sir. And it didn't go so well for me as, as far it, as the target goes. Well, the M16 and, is a relatively – of course, it's, a, it's that's a military rifle that was introduced in the late 60s in Vietnam. Uh, shoots a 5.56 caliber bullet. Doesn't kick very much, John, so there's really no worry about recoil there. How did how did it not go very well for you? With well, I didn't rifle? shoot anybody, so that's one positive well, that, thing. that's a positive. Yeah, I didn't shoot myself either. I just missed. Yeah. And, and I found out later, I think I, I needed glasses. That's yeah. just before I got a, an eye doctor's appointment. The point being, it's much more difficult to execute than what it has been shown to us to be on television and in the movies. Yeah. People think it's very easy to shoot a gun and to shoot it precisely. And as I've talked about with pistols and as you just talked about with rifles, even with rifles, unless you're an experienced marksman, uh, you don't always shoot where you want. Ah, shoot. All right, Art Cruz, John Rawl here on the Y'all Show. We've got some headlines from across the southeast that we'll get to. All that is coming up after this timeout. Hang on.
continuing on with more about the South. This is the Y'all Show, our number, 803-816-1170. Feel free to hit us up 24-7 here on the show that covers all things Southern. I'm John Rawl with Art Cruz as we wind down this Friday edition of Y'all and taking a look at some of the goings-on in the country right now. COVID hospitalizations among senior citizens seems to be going way down as older Americans, their hospitalizations plunging more than 70% since 2021 began, and deaths among them appear to have tumbled as well as evidence showing that the vaccines are indeed working. Art, have you seen the so-called chart that shows deaths and hospitalizations? Have you seen that lately? I have not seen one since I looked at the one uh, that chronicled nursing home deaths in New York uh, with Governor Pataki. So, no, I have not seen that. Oh, Governor. Now, let's not. Oh, I said Governor Cuomo, Cuomo. uh, Mayor Pataki, excuse me. Yes, 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 yes. Isn't that one of the reasons that maybe deaths among senior citizens has leveled off is Governor Cuomo is um, not sending elderly people in New York back to nursing homes to die? I I would think that was a significant part of our death rate for for a period of time there. Yeah, it, it appears to be. Now, as good as some of that news is, it's a little disturbing, at least, to see the waste that the U.S. is seeing a demand in people getting their vaccines going down in some case as a drop in the vaccine demand has some places turning down doses. They're either throwing them away. They're not using them. I mentioned earlier today that I went in to get mine last week, my first dose, and they actually called me and told me not to come. if They they wanted to get my permission not to come that day because I was the only person scheduled the entire afternoon to get a, a vaccine. They wanted to know if I would come the next morning. Wow. Because the, wow. the way these things work, they have to break them open. They've been refrigerated or frozen or something. And so I was like, okay, I'll just come tomorrow. And it worked out fine. But Did I not read where a lot – I think it was Pfizer. A lot of uh, – an entire lot of Pfizer vaccines had been – uh, contaminated and they weren't going to use those and administer those. Of course, that comes on the heels of Johnson and Johnson pausing for a short period of time the administration of their vaccines um, because, um, according to some people, there were more than enough adverse side effects as a result of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I understand people, uh, it's a personal choice. Uh, I understand people not wanting to get vaccinated. I'm not going to criticize people for not doing it. There are a myriad of good reasons that you can have for not wanting wanting to take the vaccine. But um, being my age, John, and knowing the alternative. Are you 18 or 19? um, I I was able to buy my first beer this morning and drank it on the way to the studio, as a matter of fact. But, uh, no, I, I, I weighing the alternatives, I went ahead and and like you, I have I took the Pfizer vaccine, really had no side effects to date, uh, didn't have any side effects after the vaccine was administered, and I'm glad I've got my little card now, and I feel a little safer than I did before. So you've gone through the whole process? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you have to wait, what, two weeks after that last one to be completely green-lighted? And now they tell everyone that you need a booster shot. 
uh, approximately six to eight months afterwards. So I'll, I'm going to keep my nose in the news for that because I uh, certainly wouldn't make much sense to go ahead and take the both doses of that Pfizer vaccine and not take the booster shot. So those out there that have been vaccinated, keep your eyes open because you may need to get a booster sometime in the near future. This story coming out today, former President George W. Bush wrote in the name of former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice on his 2020 presidential ballot rather than voting for his own party's nominee, Donald Trump, for re-election. And I guess he didn't vote for Joe Biden either. Uh, you know, can this can this election finally be over with we keep on talking i'm not talking about you john but it seems for some reason the news media has glommed on to the name of donald trump it's not enough that they almost single-handedly defeated donald trump uh in his election with joe biden uh their bias as i've chronicled earlier today i think was a big problem um in the republican nominees seeking uh the presidency once again but gee whiz can we move on this election was over in november john this is what six months later and we're still talking about it he's the one talking about it. he went to people magazine and told him and then of course if you go back to 2016 his father george hw bush publicly said that they weren't going to be supporting trump the nominee of the republican party i just thought if i thought if an election lasted more than four hours you're supposed to contact your physician (laughs) and here we are six months later still talking about it well i thought also that most people (laughs) want to not tell people who they voted for i thought that was one of the rights we have as americans that you don't need to necessarily advertise your political party or affiliation but and he's proud of it and he's proud that he wrote in condoleezza rice and i i suppose uh he has a right to feel proud of it, but um, if he wants to waste a vote that way, uh, uh, well, he's an American. Vote, if his vote was in Texas, it really didn't matter there. But had he been in a place like Georgia, it would have been a much, much bigger deal. Well, it would make a bigger. It would be a bigger deal too. Also, John, if uh, if the Democrats get their way and do away with the electoral college. Because, as you say, in Texas, it really didn't make a difference because uh, his individual vote didn't turn Texas blue. But uh, if the Electoral College is done away, then your individual vote will become really, quite frankly, if you live under the sound of our voices, not worth much of anything. Because if you live outside of the East Coast or the West Coast, um, that's where elections will be won and lost. And there will be little campaigning here in flyover country. And uh, I hope that I hope that doesn't come about. I hope uh, our institutions that are being attacked now, like the Supreme Court, like the Electoral College, are immune from these attacks uh, by the Democrats. And lastly, with our crews here, some sports potential rules changes has your blood pressure peaking a little bit. Well, it, it, you know, this is something that I was going to to. Uh, I don't know if it's my blood pressure, but I just wonder where we're going in college football this year, John. And I know this is catching you probably a little off guard, but this is something I noticed just on the way in. College football, which is something near and dear to our hearts here in the South, has changed its overtime rules for the upcoming college football season. 
the story was posted just a couple of hours ago. Of course, uh, in the past, if a college football game that you were watching ended in a tie, it went into overtime, and the overtime rules were uh, each team, you would have a coin flip, and each team would have a chance to score a touchdown and kick an extra point and back and forth and back and forth. And if you're a football fan, uh, you know the rest of, of uh, the situation there. However, this year, beginning this year, um, the first overtime period will be just like last year's in the sense that each team will be able to have an opportunity to score and kick an extra point. However, in the second overtime period, you must go for the two-point extra point. You don't have the option of simply kicking the extra point in the second overtime. You are forced to go for a two-point conversion. Now, if both teams score a touchdown in the second overtime and are successful in their two-point conversion, the third overtime consists of nothing more than going for two points. You don't put the ball at the 25-yard line any longer in the third overtime. You set the ball down inside the five-yard line, and each team has an opportunity to score what would normally be a two-point conversion, and you go back and forth, back and forth, until one team scores a two-point conversion and the other one does not. So that's a drastic rule change as far as overtime for college football upcoming this year. I know you haven't asked me, uh, but I'll go ahead and give you my editorial comment. Hey, what do you think about it? You know, it gets the games over with faster. I think it reduces the risk of injury for college kids because most people do get injured when they're tired. But I really think it takes away from the game because the game is going to be decided by a minute part of a team's offense and defense. When the game is tied and you get into that third overtime period, it doesn't matter what kind of speed you have on the outside in the offense. It doesn't matter what kind of cornerbacks you have on defense. It's going to be simply goal line offense against goal line defense. And I don't think that's a fair way to decide a football game. It's almost like the shootouts now in hockey. Uh, hockey in, in, in the NHL, they play an overtime period, and if neither team wins in that five-minute overtime period, uh, they have what's called a shootout where a player will simply skate in with the puck, no defensive players on the ice, and simply try to shoot the puck past the goalie. Well, is that the right way to decide a hockey game to see if you have a couple of guys who can beat a goalie one-on-one? It would be like ending a basketball game, John, going into overtime and not playing the basketball game, but simply picking one player from each team and having them go out and play one-on-one or picking one player from each team and going out and playing horse. You'd say, well, that's not right because that's not basketball they're playing. They're not using basketball team skills to decide the basketball game. That's my problem with the new college overtime rules. They're not using the entire gamut of a football team. They're not using the kicking game. They're not using the entire field. They're just simply melting it down to who can score what would otherwise be a two-point conversion best and 
again, although it shortens the game, I don't see that as a fair way to end a football game. He is Art Cruz. I am John Rawl, and this is The Y'all Show. We've got one last segment here on this Friday edition that we're going to get to, and it's going to be fun as we say goodbye for the week on this The Y'all Show. closing things up here final segment thank you so much for being with us i'm john rawl with art Cruz on this the y'all show reboot here this week is you've been a longtime listener we kind of were away for a while but we're back and want to thank everybody who's made that possible great stations and great listeners and we're just gonna have a great time and art you got a great time playing here this weekend sir I do, John, but I can't let this opportunity pass without uh, because I, I I know my wife expects it. You will be loved by my wife forever because Uh-oh. you are playing Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. Well, let's shut up. Now, why is that such a big song in the Cruz household? Uh, I guess you would have to ask her, but in my sense is that um, we have three boys. Uh, they're adults now, but um, that was something that um, my wife always looked to in terms of raising her boys and wanting them to be simple men, as Leonard Skinner talks about in that song. Now, I'm not up on Leonard Skinner's complete career, but is this did this song come out right in the middle of their biggest songs? Uh, yeah, uh, and of course, Leonard Skinner is still touring. Obviously, the name, there was a copyright problem, uh, a branding problem. A lot, Several of Leonard Skinner's members were killed in a plane crash uh, many years ago. Um, they really made popular the two and three lead guitars in concert, and... Um, we're pioneers in the field of Southern rock. And here on the Y'all Show, we love to talk about our Southern music, Southern rock, bluegrass, country, blues. If you've got a great band like Art's wife, 
has if you've got that band in mind let us know we don't mind giving a big spotlight today you might have heard we did a spotlight on texas boy roy orbison born this day in 1936 we love our music we love our news and notes and all of our great food here in the south and we kind of put it all in one heap and helping of just good conversation and we appreciate all y'all for tuning us in and being a part of the show if you want to hear more of y'all and let's say it's midnight and there's nothing else on tv which is usually the case or there's nothing else on the radio which is sometimes the case you can go to our website y'all.com y-a-l-l.com and find the y'all show podcast just look for y'all show right there on the homepage, and we appreciate the thousands of people here this week in our reboot of the y'all show who've already downloaded please share please tell your friends and we'll be right back here monday for more of the show that covers everything southern art thank you very much for being on with us and we look forward to seeing you again bright and early on monday john i look forward to it and have a good weekend to you and everyone listening all right don't forget we got festivals going on across the south some sporting events even have some college football games fcs playoffs to be played here on this almost last weekend i think it is the last full weekend of april thank you again for tuning in y'all the show that's all about the south a production of y'all.com the homepage of the south Y'all have a great weekend.